Hi and welcome back to Limitless Mind, Limitless Body. This is uh, episode seven. So welcome back to Paula. Hi, I can't believe it's episode seven. Ah, it's gone, eh? And, uh, and today our guest is Dr. Tracy Livingston, who lives locally here in Whakamarama. Um, welcome, Tracy. Hi, John. Thanks for inviting me on the show. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Ah, good. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I became an osteopath through by... Um, not, she not, she <laughs> <laughs> what I didn't know that the fun thing about becoming an osteopath is you don't realise that it's actually like a medical degree. So you're doing a medical degree with all the same, you know, diagnosis and management. But the difference is you don't really learn so much pharmaceuticals, you know, in surgery. What you learn is you uh, how to heal with your hands. So mm-hmm. people think of osteopathy as being, you know, uh, a, you're a doctor of bones or you're a you know, you deal with bone pathologies, but it's really what osteopathy stands for is empathy of structure. And that means we look at the structure of the body and we have this concept that Andrew Taylor still came out with, which was structure governs function. So for example, you'll eat soup with a spoon, but not with a fork. So if your structure is sound and good, then your function will be good. So he had some amazing um, insights and in fact, some people say that he got it from the Native Americans mm-hmm. because he he was a trained medical practitioner. If you think about the training at the time, it was pretty, um, you know, it was all mercury and arsenic pills and God knows what else. Right. Mm-hmm. Snake oil. Snake oil. It's not, to be fair, it's not that different these days. Just a bit more... Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, just made in a lab. <laughs> yeah, a lab created. So... Um, so yeah, they reckon. So he he. I think all his children died. You know, like in a cholera or typhoid epidemic. I can't remember which. And he was horrified that actually his conventional medicine had nothing to offer him as a doctor. So he started looking to see, well, what can I do? And he came up with this, um, you know, looking at the structure of the body and discovering that if you had the structure right, people would be healthy. And he was actually a bit of a crackpot, to be fair. If, if you dared to stop him in the street and tell him about your neck problem, he would lay you down in the dirt and start treating you right there <laughs> in front of the whole town. So I think people learned to make an appointment instead of um, you know, stopping him in the street. <laughs> that's actually, that's that's actually that a cool out. way, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had amazing results. You know, blindness or cholera or whatever, he just put his hands on and, and, and fixed people. He mm. was astonishing. And, you know, I think to what we're doing now with healthcare, uh, you know, from an, just from an osteopathic perspective, I can't manipulate someone these days and make them right. Mm. Our health, our health now is so complex and so we're so not normal anymore. If that, I know that doesn't sound good, but you know, the health problems we see now are not just oh I hurt myself, oh I've been poisoned by something, mm. oh I've had a donk on the head, you know, whatever. So I see that our healthcare problems now are so much more complex and require really complex, thoughtful solutions. So, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, Andrew Taylor still would, he'd just move bones, manipulate things, release things, and people would be well. And I think, God, I wish I could do that. You know, what I find is we end up, um, people are, uh, are poisoned. So I think of health as relying on three things. So, or, or sorry, health, ill health is caused by three things. Mm-hmm. And you start off with three things and then it gets complicated after that. So the, the idea is you've got uh, physical, emotional and chemical trauma. So one of those things has caused this person's problem. And for most people, it's not one thing. It's one thing on top of another thing, on top of another thing, on top of another thing. And one of my teachers would say, look Tracy, the bomb is going off here. And we have to trace the fuse back. And the fuse could be yeah. you know, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. The bomb is going off now. And we can't just look at the bomb and think that that's the problem. That's a great analogy. Absolutely yeah. great. Yeah. We and, see that and everything falls room. into three categories. Um, <coughs> uh, so those three ga- yeah. categories. So yeah. physical trauma. Yeah. So we can, you know, from birth, we can be traumatised at birth. And in fact, you know, I've seen that, you know, hundreds of times where babies are just have a really traumatic mm-hmm. birth. And 
we no longer have the systems in place unless you you know you go to the osteopath or you know you've got a chiropractor or someone that you trust um, and they will put your baby back together again you know and it's sometimes it's simple the c1's out the c2's out so you can't breathe properly Um, or other times it's a full-on you know cranial trauma and you've actually got to do a lot of cranial work babies are easy because they're ready they're ready to heal boom you know and you just touch them and things start. they don't want to hold on to the story either no. well, that, <laughs> they they're do. not aware of the story yeah, they either. want to get rid of the trauma mm. they're, and their their healing powers at that point are so uh, full you know and robust and they will put any input into the system they will take that and use it to, to unwind and heal that that birth trauma uh, what comes up a lot um, in my sessions with with young kids um, in particular is the trauma the parents were going through when they were in utero mm. so you know um, and it's, it's kind of like uh, they're not aware of what's going on because they you know a baby mm. uh, but when they're um, in the womb, they're picking up all the peptides, the emotional um, reactions, the story exactly. that the mother's going through mm-hmm. and the father's projecting as well. Mm-hmm. Really, really powerful connection between father and baby as well, isn't there? There's been lo- loads of research done on that where they've um, mm-hmm. tortured the father the other side of the world and the baby's reacted, <laughs> you know, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, pe- people don't realise the, the, ma- the major connection mm-hmm. um, and how sensitive they are. So I see, so I see the birth trauma as a starting point, and some some people actually had a perfect birth, and that's great. And then it just the the trauma winds up. You know, how many times have you had a car accident? How many times have you landed on your head? How many? So, and that all compounds in the body. And sometimes you're lucky enough to find a practitioner who will help you with that. And other times you ju- it just grinds you down mm. actually and then that's those structural disorders they'll affect your nervous system they'll affect your organ systems your endocrine whatever system you like to think of and this is where Andrew Taylor still was doing incredible work back at, you know, 200 years ago and osteopaths and chiropractors you know they're still doing great work on that front but this is the problem it's not just physical trauma anymore it's, mm. and it's not the normal it's not how um uh, the education system they haven't really taken it on mainstream have they the, the, this view of uh, they, they tend to put things into boxes all the different subjects and specializations are in different boxes whereas this this type of approach you've got to look at the whole story everything mm-hmm. for in life and all the experiences we have falls into money relationships or health so that that's the foundation stress um, categories if you like and and then I mean I describe it as like dissipation pathways that we create so dissipation pathway may may start in utero and um, as an experience that the mother's had um, and build on that or it could be another scenario that they've had in their life early on um, and, and then they start to create pathways through the system um, to dissipate that emotional charge that at any time that shows up in their world um, mm. and, and that dissipation yeah. pathway is, is what's putting the internal um, environment under stress or, or um, you know, yeah. uh, So trauma. what you're talking about is being triggered. <coughs> yeah, so you'll triggered, just see yeah. that thing. And so, I mean, again, it's very well shown in, in the literature that um, you have this what we call non-declarative memory. So before the age of three, you've got non-declarative memory because you can't remember what happened. So, you know, if you got beaten up by your dad and he wore a... F- you know, a tartan shirt. Every mm. time you see a tartan shirt, you feel like unsafe or terrified or go, you know, thro- get thrown Strong back. Strong anchor. Yeah. Mm. But you don't know why. You don't know why, and all you know is you hate your husband and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and that bloody shirt he bought. <laughs> yeah. And, and so these are all the things that actually need resolving for us to live healthy, happy lives. Mm. So, yeah, so getting back to this idea that health has become an incredibly complex situation that we that can no longer just be treated with one, you know, one treatment or one type of treatment. So um, I, I introduced myself, you introduced me as an osteopath, but actually um, I've gone sort of, I've moved on, uh, not from osteopathy because I love it, because the foundation is such a powerful uh, starting point for any other holistic health system. Um, but I've sort of become, I became a body talk instructor so I t- because I saw the limitations within osteopathy and I was always thinking, 
how can I do this better? Like, there's got to be a way that you can treat all of these issues. That was exactly my my thinking when I came across Body Talk as well. Yeah. That's why I went and did it um, yeah. from a physiotherapist yeah. and, and acupuncture, even from a, you know acupuncture. Yeah. What are, there's something missing. There's something missing. What's yeah. missing? Yeah. And I would add to that too. From pharmacy, I decided that I wasn't achieving the the results and, mm. and healings yeah. that mm. I was looking for in my customers. Yeah. So we really have to broaden our perspective of what is healthcare, and so I've ended up. So osteo- I went from osteopathy, uh, turned body talk practitioner instructor, and then I, um, long story short, um, um, what do you do when you get really tired and you don't want to do something burnout. more? Oh, burnout. <laughs> I suffered burnout after 15 years of you know raising two children and travelling and teaching and dealing with students who don't always appreciate you <laughs> although John you I really appreciate your You're here, mate. <laughs> um, so uh, and then turned you know political activist so I became a vaccine injury awareness activist or protester or whatever um, and so I've been looking at I was taught about vaccines at university you know we, we, we I was so fortunate I was just so fortunate um, we did a lecture, uh, it was a video really, just of uh, Robert, Robert Mendelssohn mm. and his, his medical, as a medical heretic. And he, if, if you want to raise a healthy child, stay away from your doctor, I think was the name of his book or this wow. video. And I remember coming out of that wide-eyed thinking, I am never going to vaccinate my children. Like it was so powerful. And he must have really, I can't remember anything in the video, but all I remember was, oh my word, I'm never vaccinating my children. Mm. Which is tricky, you know, because you, you go in completely, you know, vaccines save the planet, and it would be but, but, you know, that's just, vaccines do work, don't they? Who says? Where's the data? But, but Show me the data. Okay, okay. Show me the data. All right. That's a tricky one, isn't it? Because the data, there is data out there, but it always comes in as the infection was declining anyway, as the world. No, 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 that's not data. Is it the vaccination, the introduction of the viral component into the body, right? Or is it the toxins that they use to keep that okay. and deliver that okay that component that's bad <laughs> so it's really tricky it's really tricky with vaccines so um in fact you threw me with that because i i you know it does come up uh, but vaccines work there is actually no data that shows vaccines work a lot of what we're seeing is a proper is a is the propaganda machine saying vaccines work, vaccines work, vaccines work. And you hear that often enough. And, you know, you go, oh, okay, vaccines work. Um, so there is no data to back up that claim, but there is a ton of data to show that clean water, um, sanitation, sanitation mm-hmm. good food, good nutritious food, not putting children to work at eight in the coal mines and not putting children to work, in, you know, as chimney sweeps and actually nourishing people and then having warm, dry homes and no sewage in the street. That is what gives us good health. So, so, if, so vac- if, they, if they created a vaccination that didn't have aluminium and mercury and formaldehyde in there, okay. would it be... Thank you for asking that yeah, question. Would it be... So Dr. Sorry. Lewis Thomas, mm. decades ago, so you won't see this information anywhere because it's in his biography. So mm. it's not a published paper. He, he was just employed to do research. Mm. And so his research was based on the meningococcal. He was injecting meningococcal bacteria into rabbits. Mm. And what they found was rabbits could clear meningococcal bacteria out of their blood within seconds. So you could wow. you could put a million, you could put 10 million bacteria in there and the rabbit would clear it within seconds. So they came to the conclusion, oh, there is something in rabbit's blood, you know, there's something inherent, it's, it's beyond the immune system. It was faster than, because you think mm. about antibodies and this and that. It was working so fast that he's like, wow, you know, what is it in, in the blood that fixes this, that just kills these bacteria? So he thought, oh, I wonder if we could do that faster. And so what he does is he vaccinates the rabbits against meningococcal. 
and they, and then reintroduces them to the, then injects them with an meningococcal bacteria. They all died immediately. So, the data, that research has been done, was not published. So what it tells us is that when you vaccinate for a bacteria, this, this, this was bacteria, I mean vaccines would have to, uh, virus vaccines would have to have another discussion about. But if you are vaccinated for meningococcal, that is leaving you absolutely wide open to that from serious infection or even... It's the cascade, it's the cascade. It's the cyclone And that's and what now, Dolores um, Carthill yes. said yesterday. Yes. So oh, this okay. was decades, we yeah. knew this decades ago. Yeah. What did we do with that information? We sat on it. it. Mm-hmm. We sat on it. And repressed. Okay. And the same... The same so that, that's for bacterial, so, yeah. um, but you know, um, what about the viral side of things? I'm really interested in viruses um, because I've been looking into them, not not in a real scientific but way, but more in a questioning kind of way. And I looked at the data a long time ago that, um, so there's a, a woman called, Doc, oh, she's dead now, there was a woman called Dr. Barbara McClintock and she, in the 50s, 30s, 40s, uh, I'm thinking 40s, but I'd have to go back and check. She was looking at um, how corn, she was looking at corn, she was a plant biologist, and she was looking at the different parts of corn, and what she discovered was this protein, RNA, you know, piece with a protein capsid and all these other things, and she described it as, um, as, a, as a molecular communication within the corn. Mm. And when you look at... She actually got a Nobel Prize for her work, so I'm not, I'm not making this up. <laughs> <laughs> but 50 years later, she mm. didn't get... So she was doing wow. this work in the 30s, and they didn't give her a Nobel until the 80s wow. because of the work that she did. What she described is exactly what looks like a virus in today's language. Mm. So when you go... So then you're like, well, what, what is a virus? Is it a normal part of cellular function? And then they started looking at the RNA and the DNA, and they're like, 50% of our DNA is viral in origin. Mm. So, does that mean that the vir- that, that that our DNA is a pathogen? No, I don't think so. We are full of viruses. Our bodies are chock-a-block. It's just the, the microbiome, air, isn't it? It's part thing. of our yeah. microbiome. So, yeah. what, what, what? big business, big pharma, big whatever, big science is doing, is they're taking a virus Mm. or something and saying, this is a pathogen. The same way they're doing it with bacteria, they're going, see that, that's a pathogen. But that, you know, it was um, uh, Professor Koch, he said, or no, it was... Was it one of those professors when uh, Pasteur said, oh, look, you know, look at this cholera typhoid. This is what's causing the disease. And he blew the germ theory out of the water. He mm. drunk he a did, whole uh, glass. That yeah. was, in, that was <coughs> in the Lancet, wasn't it? Did they publish that in the Lancet? He drank a whole glass of cholera mm. bacteria, you know, bacteria, and remained perfectly fine. Yeah. So he, so the germ theory was disproved that the week, the year that it was posthumous. I read that paper at uni. Mm. Um, so and, we and need to article, look at. I can't remember where it was. We need to look at health from a different perspective. Yeah. So going through pharmacy school, I I was a great pharmacy student, learnt everything, and then I've had 30 years experience as a pharmacist. And the germ theory is what we preach, mm. and um, it was only recently that the word exosome came up. And I thought, what the hell's an exosome? And I listened and listened, and, uh, and these people are telling me that exosome is a little bit of cell wall that's a little bit dirty, like you've got dirty windows in your house, that, or a broken window even. That little piece of window needs clearing out. So the janitorial keepers of mm. that cell come along, mm. take out the window, and replace it with a new window. Mm. And that's what an exosome is. It is a little bit of cell that has has got a little bit diseased. And of course the, the job of getting rid of that little piece of cell mm. is requires a bit of muck, a bit of snot and stuff to get rid of it. Um, mm. It takes a bit of a fever to actually clear out that cell. 
So it really left me incredibly confused about what the hell I've been talking about germ theory, thought I had it sussed, mm. when it's actually exosome theory. It could be a little bit of both, but this mm. exosome theory is that we have cells that require maintenance mm. um, of clearing out these broken bits, these sick bits. Mm. It's just a cell doing housework. Mm. Yeah. And it's actually not a horrible thing. And the way, the way we deal with illness makes it worse. So instead of going, oh, I'm, I'm starting to come down with something, I'm feeling a bit toxic and mm. full of phlegm and crap, instead of you know, backing mm. off and looking at our diet and, and, and pulling back, like, oh, God, they sprayed down the street the other day, oh, that's my body's clearing stuff out. What we do is we take an aspirin, a Panadol, a Nurofen or whatever, mm-hmm. an antibiotic, and what that does is it pushes the illness deeper into the system mm-hmm. so the body can't deal with it. And I mm-hmm. had a patient a few years ago, and, and you know when you take a case study and, and, and it starts off, <laughs> it starts off, I've got MS. Oh, okay, well, let's unpack, you know, let's unpack that. You know, oh, yes, well, I was a sickly baby and, I, you know, my mother couldn't breastfeed me. You know, and then I got asthma and then I had Ventolin, and then I got eczema, and then I got, oh that's right, it starts off with eczema of course, mm. so then you get the hydrocortisone <coughs> cream, eczema. and then I got asthma, and then I got mm. the Ventolin, and then I had, you know, then the next illness comes up, and then the next, and then the next, and then all of a sudden at 23, I've got MS. The bomb goes off. The bomb goes yeah. off, and you're like, well you couldn't, you know, some people obviously more susceptible, and even mm. more susceptible. Every story is different. Every, every story, yeah, every story different. is different. And you just have to, yeah, unwind yeah. that. And and so what I've learned for for me personally is that I had to give up dairy products because I was actually allergic, and what it was doing was just pushing inflammation in my body, so that um, I was way too inflammatory. So if I injured myself, I just ended up with a chronic inflammatory situation. Mm. And now that I've given up dairy, because I you these. Uh, John bought these lovely cakey things. <laughs> love roses. We'll give love roses a plug. Night app if you're ever in town. You just get, get, get into love roses, say hi to the guys. <laughs> so, you know, so it's, it's, it's sad, but actually it doesn't even look like food anymore. Like you can actually turn it around and, and you... Because I know the pain, you know, it's, it's worth it. But I haven't been sick since then because I haven't got the phlegm. My body's not as struggling to clear crap out. Um, so it's like if you can find out what it is that you're reacting to that's pushing inflammation in your body, especially if you're sort of arthritic or pre-arthritic or have any breathing problems or even foggy, heavy head, it's worth trying to find out, you know, what am I reacting to on a day-to-day basis? And then if you, uh, and sadly with allergies, you actually have to stop. You have to stop completely because any little molecule that you put in just keeps firing yeah. up. How, how do you tie this in with um, emotions though? Because emotions and thinking and that P and I, yeah. psychoneuroimmunology, well, see that starts as an incredible it link. Starts young. It, mm. yeah. it's, it's, it's around the, um, the reaction that people go into. So the, so the foundation is, you know, first of all you have your physical experiences as a, in utero and as a baby. Um, but then you have all the belief systems piled on top of that, yeah. yeah, and and your life experiences in your theta state, you know, and and so once your belief system uh, systems are established, they all have buttons attached, mm. and as soon as a belief system's challenged, you you're going to go into reaction, and and that is that emotional reaction is always a foundation to. Um, the, the body going into reaction and or staying in reaction. Yeah, you can say that, but I'll just use an example. So we we in the West have become very emotionally fragile, mm. to put it mildly. So um, there's a um, an anthroposophical uh, teacher, a Steiner teacher, who went and spent time in Papua New Guinea, <coughs> and she observed. Like one of these kids actually saw his mate killed by a car, like right in front of him. And the car drove off because he hadn't even realised because something had fallen off the truck, crushed this kid, and the kid was like, oh, buried his friend, went back to the village, you know, ended up back at, at school a week or so later. And the teacher watched this child for years and said, I never saw any trauma from that. 
he just completely resolved that trauma within his own little self. Like he would have been seven or eight, I think. Mm. And so I, I think that we're much more emotionally fragile for various reasons. Like it's pretty, it's yeah. a pretty mm. intense world that we're living in at the moment. I don't, I, I, I don't know about, I don't know if fragile is a fair word. I think that it's just cultural too. I think that's a massive, you know, the belief systems around death, for instance, in Papua New Guinea, I mean, you know, um, they still have quite strong belief systems about in spirituality mm. and involvement and, uh, um, you know, villages being corrupted by an individual. They'll, they'll kill a child if they think it's possessed and it's going to disrupt the village um, out, out in the jungles and stuff. So death, their point of view around death is probably very different to ours. Mm. Um, and, and we would never expect a seven-year-old kid to organise the burial of his mate in our society. So um, it's just, uh, I don't know that we're fragile, mm, okay. I, I think it's just we have a massively different cultural perspective, uh, mm, cultural That outlook. makes us emotionally fragile. <laughs> I don't think we're emotionally fragile. Sometimes our children are in, ridden with anxiety, like you're we're seeing this incredible anxiety. But in it, isn't that just the isn't that just the projections of what's going on at the moment? Because anxiety well, is really full on. Yeah, well, anxiety is just a, um, worrying about the future. So if, if you're going into anxiety, it's either small intestinal or pancreatic, and if it's pancreatic, it's worrying about how you're going to adapt in the future. So it's, yeah, and, and, and mm. adaptability. So it's like, well, um, if the parents are worrying about how they're going to adapt in the future, then you can be sure that the kids are going to be picking that up and other people's projections mm. too. Mm. So, you know, yes, I mean, those those kids in Papua New Guinea, I don't think they're too focused on worrying about the future. They're living in the moment, right? Mm. And I think that, that if you're living in the now, then uh, a loss of a friend next to you, if you're constantly living in the now, um, is is oh, that's what's happened in this moment? Mm. Oh, that's sad. I won't be able to play with him, or won't be get to know him anymore because that's his story's finished. Mm. Okay, we've got to move on because there's other stories around me that I'm going to be living with and interacting mm. with. So um, he did. Yeah, he did. Seven year old is at forty or fifty. Yeah, I don't Sometimes know. Sometimes these things just, pop up then. Yeah, he yeah. did compare it to an American child who was terribly traumatised because a horse reared up in front of it. You know, like... Mm. Yeah, it gives you a fright. Yeah, but then needed counselling. You yeah. know, it wasn't just... It but was is, isn't, is that... Come on, mate. Is that just a... Look, he, look, he looks like he's a bit traumatised. Send him to the counsellor. Oh, he was You know, from, okay. from where we yeah. come from, the bad... The, yeah, muscle test, subconscious mind, what do you need? Yeah. yeah. Then yeah. let's disconnect that. Yeah. You know, it's so much easier than sitting for hours um, talking. Talking, talk it, talk, talk it talking, out. And, talk and it reliving out. and reliving and reliving and trying yeah, to change, find right. a different way of doing that. Yeah. You know, but um, oh yeah, I think there's 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 what I noticed when I worked in different countries in the military and and uh, be in a situation where I couldn't speak the language, I didn't understand what people were saying. What I noticed is that human behaviour and the the visual signs that people give are the same everywhere in the world. So I knew if someone was intending to kick off. I knew if someone was, was uh, you know, being kind or trying to interact in a positive way. You know, you could just pick that up straight away, mm. just from the body language, the facial expressions, their behavior and everything else. Mm. Um, but, but why they're behaving like that is going to be very, very different in the different cultural zones in the world because everyone has different belief systems and we have a community-based belief system and a country-based belief system. Mm. Um, and those are the foundations really for everything. And, and when those belief systems are challenged, then we can't help going into reaction, and that and it's that it's that emotional charge that the body has to process, mm-hmm. um, and that's a huge component to the internal environment environment of the body being maintained in a certain way. If it's slightly inflamed, or you know, if it's healthy, and, and you know. Mm. So, well, I guess that brings us back to health. You know, health, health and, and how and we're maintaining health in our country, and and what's going on now with with well, government policies and... Well, if you don't mind me saying, I think it's a bit of a disaster. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Define you know, disaster. Uh, well, we've got people, you know, dying of heart disease and cancer. Like, our cancer rate in New Zealand is a, is 
astonishing. Yeah. Our heart disease rate is astonishing. Have we, have we got one of the highest rates in the Western world for the top six cancers or something? Have we? Well, we're certainly um, we're certainly highest for motor neuron disease. Are we? So if you start really? looking... Yeah, yeah, yeah. we the highest country. We have the highest rate of motor neuron disease in, wow. in the per world. Capita. What's out there that's making wow. us get that title? Well, we live in a you know forget pure clean green New Zealand. We actually live in an incredibly toxic environment. We've got 1080 has been dropped into our country for the last 60 years. It's what one of the most going on with 1080. It is one of the most toxic poisonous substances invented by man. And not other countries, other countries don't use it? No, they've, they've banned it, they've banned it. And the reason that other countries, we haven't banned it here is because our government says that 1080 is only kills mammals. Now, I don't know about you, last time I looked, humans are mammals. Birds aren't mammals. But actually, no, it doesn't. It kills anything that has a Krebs cycle. So anything that uses oxygen mm. to live, including mm. plants, to be fair, uh, including fish, um, it will it, it blocks the Krebs cycle. So it works by a uh, the way it's poisonous is by interfering. Uh, so it turns it's a fluorate uh, monofluoroacetate, and it turns into fluorocitrate in the cell. So it kills by lethal synthesis or lethal metabolism. Mm. Um, and what they've seen is being a neuro it's a neurotoxin. So then mm. we're looking at these areas with high motor neuron disease are often areas that are con- 1080 contaminated. Well, how so did Ray Mayford died, died of that? Of motor back. neuron motor disease. Where, where did he live? Yeah, Tarama. What did he do for a job? He was into business, a businessman. Okay, so he sh- he was he hunting or? I don't think so. He used to go. He used to like travelling around the country though, and, and going on adventures with canoes and things. And mm. Mm. He was yeah. a lovely guy, really, really awesome, and it hit him really quickly. So, so I, well, it is mm. in the in the lab when they're testing for, when they want a, a gl- neuroglial toxin, mm. they'll use a fluorocitrate or fluoroacetate, mm. or a so, and we're sprinkling that around our. We are, dropping, right now. we are dropping enough 1080 to kill 60 million people every single year in New Zealand. Wow. How, how the forest deals with that, I have no idea. So it will kill, we've seen that it kills the earthworms. You know, we have big native worms in New, Ze- in New Zealand, you know, like maybe half a metre. Hmm. So we'll kill those. It'll kill the wetters, we- uh, sorry, wetters. So it'll kill insects. Any insectivore birds will die either from starvation or through secondary poisoning. Yeah. Uh, we've even got a problem. Oh God! Don't get me started. Yeah. Um, I'll, so I'll so that's, no, that's one so major toxin that we've got in our environment. Not, then we've got no all the sprays. We've got all the sprays for, and especially yeah. here in the Bay of Plenty, we've got all the sprays for kiwi fruit and avocado. Yeah. And tordon. Tordon is so toxic. So what that, do they use that for? Um, it's the same as Agent Orange. Oh, sure. So Agent Orange is 2,4-D and 2,4-5-T mm. mixed together. So we used to make that down at the down in New Plymouth. Mm. And there were just, you know, there's just this massive cluster of cancer and death. Mm. Uh, and and but we're still using tordon. Mm. Uh, so I asked my local farmer. I thought I'd go and get some fresh milk. I thought, mm. oh, I'll get some fresh milk from down the road. I was like, do you use glyphosate on your paddocks? He's like, no, no, we use pasture clean. I was like, check out what's pasture clean. Tordon two four five T. I'm like, mate. Oh, sorry, two four D. It is. I was like, no, no, I don't want your milk. Thanks. So it's getting into our food. We're not testing for it. We yeah. have no idea. I've got an, another um, a colleague of mine, actually, uh, acupuncturist, mm. and we worked together for a while, um, about 10 years ago, and he, his background was dairy, and um, his, his wife got pregnant, and, and he got an, offered another contract in South Island, so it was big money compared to his practice, so he took the, he took the money and he went down um, and, and consolidated himself down there. But we've had a few conversations in the past, and uh, he says you wouldn't believe um, how much spray people use on the farms, on the dairy farms, mm-hmm. and that. And so and he, they get sick. Yeah. They get depressed. And so he he tries to avoid that as much as possible, mm-hmm. and um, you know, uh, rotates the paddocks as, as much as he can because he's really aware of the toxicity. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got we. Um, I should have. I have a 
I should have introduced myself. I'm a budding, you know, wannabe politician. And one of the reasons I wa- I'm a wannabe politician is because it's science isn't, you know, you, you, you fight this in the law courts, you fight, fight this from a research point of view, and we just get nowhere. Mm. And so I think the only way forward at the moment is in politics, because mm. I really... To make the difference. Yeah. To make the difference. So, we've so what got, needs to change then? Well, we've got someone writing agricultural policy for us, hmm. and, and they're looking, there's a, a new type of, it's organic, regenerative, there's another word for it, I'm trying to remember, but it's sort of organic, regenerative agriculture. And he, but the reason he got into it was he was nearly dead from his, because he was a conventional farmer and it nearly killed him. Mm-hmm. And he, so he had a big old wake up call and mm-hmm. now is one, you know, he teaches this organic regenerative farming around New Zealand. And, and who's us? Us? Yeah. Well, oh, we are the Outdoors Party. Oh, cool. And it's an amazing, eclectic bunch of people who've come in from all sort of activism roles in their lives. So uh, we, we started really as a 1080 issue party and uh, sort of hunting, fishing, clean water, clean air, clean mm. food, safe. Because of course the guys like that, that started it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How so New Zealand? We really looking at how New Zealand used to be. Yeah. Well, the guys who started it were in the bush hunting, weren't they? Yeah. And, and coming across the 1080 and going, Alan. what's going on? Man? Yeah. They they would you know our Alan Simmons he's 70 now and he saw the first drop in the Kaimanawas and he said he used to go there to take tourists to the dawn chorus. And he said the dawn, you'd be there at dawn, and you couldn't listen, you couldn't talk to each other. It was so So loud, loud. and the birds were so, it was so intense. And he said they did a 1080 drop to kill, you know, rats and stoats or whatever it was. And he said the next time he went back, there was not a single bird. Not a single bird to be, he said he lost his business overnight. They would have. And, they and would have shifted somewhere else. So they probably wouldn't have killed all of them. But they. They would have sent. Because animals aren't stupid, right? Back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day, they dropped a lot. Oh, like yeah. so now they're like they're going. Oh, it's okay. We only drop one every hectare or something, which is which is not true either. But they they're basically carpet bomb. Mm. So you actually honestly you killed everything in that area. And you're right. The animals will move away. Yeah. But it's like a bushfire. You know, mm-hmm. how far do you have to how go? How far can they go? Yeah, and yeah. So, so, like, I just think, well, that's just one man's experience. But, you know, people say, oh, hunters, you know, they, they just don't like 1080 because it kills the deer and the pigs. And they're like, well, no, why the, are you hunters, killing deer the, deer <laughs> the, the hunters care about the bush. Yeah, they yeah. really do. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge value to them, that bush. Yeah. It's and huge value to everyone. Well, we've just, they've just done a 1080. 1080 drop in wet jacket sound in Fiordland that has never had a poison operation. But they have an aerial 1080 poison operation, I should say. So it's full of care, it's full of bird life. They've gone and checked and gone, actually, there's not much possums here, there's not much rats. Oh, we'll do a drop anyway. Like, that is how thoughtless they are. So they haven't checked the environment. And I've done OIAs so, on this. So it's where just I've about asked, money. They don't give a toss. It's just about what is it about? What it, why uh, bother? It's an ideology. It's an ideology that if you get rid of all the foreign mammals in the bush, the bush will somehow regenerate itself and, and come but, back to life. But, but the bush has had enough time to adjust to foreign animals being in there. Right? That, that it's been, been there for a couple of hundred years now, right? Well, I would argue that. So that Kaimanawa drop that I was just talking about. So Alan said the, the, the dawn chorus was so loud and then it was gone. And I think, well, the birds must have adapted. There, there would have been rats and mice and stoats and weasels yeah. and possums in that bush. Yeah. So what's, what changed? The, the thing that changed that bush was the 1080. Yeah. Mm. Those animals were already there. Yeah. So, and, and I hear it from other bushmen as well. They'll say, well, we were up in the Coromandel or whatever, never had a 1080 drop, birds everywhere, saw rats, saw stoves, saw mice, and yet so the they were managing... the things you're trying to get rid of, they flourish somehow. It, yeah. So somehow so everything to come still... So, oh, so they, they flourish more, yes. So, so what they've shown... <laughs> the 1080 aerial poisoning in, causes rat plagues which then right. causes stoke plagues, which mm. then... So that doesn't make much sense. 
Oh, it's just insane. It's so, so that's the 1080, right? That's and amazing. that's the toxicity that's okay. in the environment along the yep. sprays and everything. That else. we're not testing for. There yep. is no transparency. There's no testing. We're not. We have never checked the, our groundwater mm. for 1080. The amount and of people. It's metabolite. The amount of people that I've seen over the years, um, that you know, their body chemistry is going crazy, and it's always gone to a specific period in their life, and say, so "What are you doing then? Oh, spraying. I was uh-huh. working the chemical plant. Mm. I was." You know, do such and such. Um, so, so um, how? So, what about that? So, that's the agricultural side of mm. things and the toxins that are being introduced into the environment. Mm. So, what's the health policy looking like? What, how do we how do we improve yeah, we the health in New Zealand? Well, I I actually wrote health policy for the Outdoors Party, and they're very open. Like I said, we're all a bunch of activists and people mm. who've been thinking deeply about the issues for a number of years. And to me, there's no point in having and in, in getting into politics and getting into parliament and not having a solution, having mm. a solutions-based mm. ideology. Because if you if you don't have a solution, just shush and let people who do get on with it. So I wrote a policy. <laughs> <laughs> so so I started, you know, because we've got this ag- organic regenerative type agricultural policy. I figured those guys are going to deal with looking at how we de- reducing uh, toxins in agriculture. What we've done is we've si- our, what our country has done and what our government has done is it has siloed health problems mm. from agriculture and it siloed health problems from uh, societal problems and monetary problems. So it's gone like you're an individual with a health problem. We're just going to plonk you in your own little silo over there and treat you as an individual. We need to change our focus and mm-hmm. go. One person's health is reliant on the entire community's health, our whole society's health, our land health. You know, it's like the organic well, system. New Zealand Organics, uh, the Soil and Health uh, Group. Mm. You know, they've been going sixty odd years promoting, so, you know, showing how soil and health are, are, mm. are, are one and the same. So I want us to roll back these decades of neoliberalism that has allowed our agricultural, you know, the agricultural chemical companies mm. to just bring in these toxic chemicals or make them or encourage people to use them without, with very little data to show that it's safe long term. It's like big pharma and big chemco have... They are, they are one Taken of the same. Over. Yeah, yeah, and they have, yeah. and they an the enormous other. amount of money. They're, mm. they're a massive lobby group, mm. and you see the hidden hand in policy and the way it's written in New Zealand. Mm. The policy is written to allow that. So we we actually have really powerful environmental policy protection. Mm. None of it is being used. So so who's doing the, who's doing the deals deals with the devil? Yeah. Because that's the thing with politics, right? You you get to write um, a health policy, and and when you and you mentioned this earlier on, Paul, didn't you? you know you've read a number of different policies. You've read mm. heaps of policies as well, Tracy, and, and they all <laughs> and you've written them. And they, they all look really good. They all look really promising, but they don't always deliver on those. And mm. so, it, and I was speaking to someone well, who's been working in Parliament recently. Yeah, and and it's like you have to yeah. you have to do a deal you know yeah. if you're going to have this part of your policy done you have to do something for yeah. me and that could be totally against totally against you know conflict of your interests uh, personally but also from a from a political yeah. perspective the outdoors party wants to change the way politics is done so so there's all this policy and that's great mm. and you can look it up on our website outdoorsparty.co.nz mm. <laughs> and um, you can, but fundamentally, the way we run our government is flawed. Mm. So we need to go back to, um, I'm going to say it, Hiwakaputanga or Rangatiratanga or Nuterini, which is actually our original founding document that allows us to make laws for the benefit of New Zealanders. Not for the benefit of foreign corporations. Corporations, mm. yeah. And and so we've got Hiwaka Putanga, uh, and that's only just all of a sudden, you know, we're realising what Māori have been saying oh, for 180 that's years. That's, yeah. We have, and you know, even even through Hiwaka Putanga, we have a trading agreement with 90 different countries. We do not need free trade agreements with America or China. whatever. Russia is very keen to do. Yeah, you've, mm. this is the first time you've heard it. You know, it's a shock for me too. <laughs> so, so, 
those free trade agreements that we're doing that alter our sovereignty and ability to make laws within our own country. And that's just all starting to come to fruition now. Let's talk about that another time. Mm. Um, and then we've got Tetiriti or, or Waitangi, which is you know another founding document that gives us the ability to take care of the health and well-being of New Zealand and the environment. Mm. And and then we have all these other um, environmental. Uh, sorry, we've got little bits of what do you call it um, constitution dotted mm. through. Mm. So we have an amazing Bill of Rights in New Zealand, incredible Bill of Rights. But it has a little clause that says, but we don't, if there's, we don't have to pay attention to this if there's another law that supersedes it. It's like, how can you have a mm. law that supersedes the Bill of Rights? Bill of Rights. Mm. You, you, you can't. So we've got a Bill of Rights. We've also got a Health and Disability Commissioner Act code, which, again, gives people incredible rights within, for their health, mm. a lot of which has been completely ignored. So we've got this all, we need to put it together into a constitution in a way that, that doesn't, that, that we have to, f- that's our fundamental, that's our basis of it's how we run our government. It makes me think of what America have, they have constitutional mm. rights and every American knows their constitutional rights, yeah. but I don't know if you could find a Kiwi who realises that we even have okay. one. We still have what we call common law. And common law. Oh, I don't know if you'll get any Kiwis who know about common law. Either. No, no. But if the police well, come, but if the police come to your door, mm. they still have to fulfil the common law rights. So we've got this bill before Parliament that's just been passed. It was passed under urgency, emergency, and it was this COVID Health Response Act 2020, and it basically takes away all of your rights. Basically and says, my blood boil. Oh. And so it basically <laughs> says that the COVID virus is more important than anything else in this country and that if you we think that you might be harbouring a fugitive with COVID nineteen, we can fugitive. we can bang down your door and take that person away, we can quarantine them for as long as you like, as long as we like. Uh, all sorts of incredible powers. And yet still within that act it still says Common law still applies. So what? So what so we do then, and that, and that, and that's what happened to me, um, uh, getting stopped, just going about my personal business, and it was, a, you know, a normal check by the police. And then um, when I started to describe where, who my bubble was, you know, my family, I was accused of being a liar, and they're going to put me on a government list. And the next time I got stopped, I'd go to court. So I went into the police station and, and asked to speak to the duty um, senior sergeant. Um, and, and just explain to him that I was going about my personal business under common law without compromising the health of anyone else. And uh, it surprised me to see that he hadn't even been, he hadn't been, he hadn't had this whole situation and scenario described to him in that way. Because the guidelines that are, that are put out, the health guidelines, yeah. are guidelines, yeah. and that's what they lead with. Yeah. And so they give. They have to give everyone the information on what the guidelines are and how we're supposed to be. And so everyone's distracted by what the guidelines are and how you're supposed to behave. And the very last little thing that they tag on the end is common law still applies. Whereas they should begin with common law still applies. Mm-hmm. Common law is this. Mm-hmm. You may go about your personal private business um, providing you're not compromising the health of someone else. Mm-hmm. Under common law. And, and that means, you know, behave yourself. Like we do, you know. Don't speed. Don't you know? Don't go through red lights. Don't be. A, don't be a dick on the road. Be. Be. You know. Be um, a good citizen. Mm. As long as you don't compromise the health of anyone else. Well, I for one have never so. heard of common law until just a few months ago. So I'm wow. like, what the hell is common law? Mm. And when you, the thing is, when you read the bill, it doesn't say common law still applies. It says common law. Blah 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 blah, which is legalese common law still applies. Mm-hmm. I yeah. actually had to ask a lawyer, what do they mean when they say common law, blah, blah, blah? It's just, like it's so complicated that you can't actually tell yeah. that that's what they're saying. Yeah. And yet, so when you nail it down to, to the wall, yeah. common law is the foundation of, of our functioning as a society. That's why I structured the sentence I did, because mm. he, looked, he looked at me and going, who is this dude? <laughs> and they... I am going about my personal business under common law mm. without compromising the health yeah. or safety of anyone else. It's a very powerful statement. It's a very powerful yeah. statement. 
And, and this guy, so do you have, you know, uh, is there any reason why I need to be on any list? He said, there is no list. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you were told that. There is no list. And he said, and no one's going to court. <laughs> and, and, that, and that, John, is called posturing and intimidation. And yeah. that is how the government is operating in this era. Well, I, the, the, the duty sergeant wasn't posturing or intimidating no, at all. He was very no. helpful. But the guy on the street, I think, was... Um, uh, probably a bit ruffled. Uh, look, I came from a place, uh, an organisation uniform. Right? If guys aren't briefed correctly, they'll default into um, what they think is the right thing to do. So I just, I just think there was so much confusion at the time, and because it was such a new concept of lockdown, this is what you, we've got to do, and 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 everyone was going, you know, including the police, because you know they're interacting with people every day. Um, far more than anyone else, so they're at much higher risk, you know, and they, they potentially putting their families at risk as well, you know, and, and so, the, you know, these guys are under stress anyway, so when someone is giving a story, and, and let's face it, a lot of the time, because of their job, the stories that they're being given mm. are lies, mm. yeah, and, yeah, and they're dealing with that all the time, so, I, you know, I, I, I see it for what it is, but I, I, I still, and that's why I keep telling people about this, you know, yeah. we go about our, our, our personal business under common law, yeah. provided you don't um, compromise the health or safety of anyone else. So hauling it back to health, hmm. what do we do now? What do we do now? Well, you, what you do is you do not get the COVID-19 vaccine when you're offered it for the simple reason that all the coronavirus vaccines have ever done in their, in, when they did animal testing mm. is kill animals mm. with the cytokine storm that you've been yeah. talking about. So even the most ardent, hysterically pro-vaccine doctor, or a vac- uh, he was a vaccine inventor, his name is Dr. Paul Offit, and he famously said that a child could take 10,000 vaccines and that it would be absolutely fine. So even he was on video saying, I don't know about this vaccine, you know, it's really had some bad side effects in the lab, you know, (laughs) in the testing. And so even he was saying, so I'm like, wow, Dr. Paul Offit's an anti-vaxxer now. (laughs) When When he calls for vaccine safety, I sit up and listen. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I just say to anyone who's listening that um, this is the second independent doctor who's taught, who said exactly the same thing. So we, this is in our, our interview the, yeah. in, in episode six um, with uh, Professor Dolores Carhill from, Dun, uh, from Dublin. Um, and she said she just said exactly the same thing and went into a lot more detail on on the mm. process of why the reaction was happening and why it isn't safe. So you know, there's two. Two people, um, and you haven't heard that. I understand you haven't heard that interview. No, mm-hmm. no, you need to say no because. No, I'm no, sorry. <laughs> no, I haven't heard that interview. I, there was, you know, we've been watching this play out because I've been in, interested in vaccine injury for, for decades now. So I've been watching it play out for, mm. for years. And then, yeah, like I said, to have Dr. Paul Offit mm. concerned about vaccine safety was, was actually quite a surprise. So I'd like to add in here, though, that we are absolutely all pro-immunity. Hmm. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Boost your immunity. Yeah. Get healthy. And that, you know, that, that, that's another thing. Why aren't they teaching about nutrition? Why aren't they teaching about supplementation of, say, vitamin C, vitamin D, yeah. zinc, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And so integrating so that. Not for a second has this government talked about boosting immunity, no. uh, Providing vitamin C for its citizens, for the public to, mm. to help them out. Uh, they haven't they talked have about done IV like Just C. wait, we've got a vaccine coming. Yeah. Just oh, wait. Yeah. So oh, that, that, that's the story internationally, though. That, yeah. That's what's being played out. So yeah, we don't have to well, it is no, and it don't. isn't because in the in Wuhan, the the American companies sent tons and tons of vitamin C to Wuhan to the really? hospitals. Yep. And they started doing IV vitamin C straight away and oral vitamin C, and they were having people who were seriously sick uh, coming right within three weeks. Mm-hmm. They'd be right as rain. So we, we've got we've got the data mm-hmm. we've got the data that shows that the vitamin C is getting rid of toxins. It's boosting your immune system. The white blood cells function on vitamin C. Without mm-hmm. that vitamin C, they're just cactus. So. Mm-hmm. 
most people are in basically a low grade scurvy state. Mm. I've got, um, I just posted something on the Outdoors Party Facebook page that showed that giving pregnant women up to 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day, their, uh, their pregnancies were very good, very healthy. They had short births with no tearing and no trauma. Mm-hmm. Their babies were incredibly robust. In fact, they were so robust that when you had them on their little um, trolleys, they'd actually be grabbing at the sides and pulling themselves mm-hmm. up. Well, that, and you go, so they were called vitamin C babies because they wow. were so incredible. Well, that, that's the collagen, right? So the, the vitamin C that's binds, exactly yeah, that. it binds yeah. the hydroxyglycine and the hydroxyproline together to make 20%. 23% of the collagen in your body. That's why it's so important for, yeah. you know, that's why scurvy, one of the signs is, te- is, is lesions in the body because the, the collagen's breaking down so, you, so you're not being held together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's so important. Um, if, if you're listening and you're in New Zealand, there is a, a and you, you want to do um, vitamin C infusion, um, just get in touch. There's someone here in Tarama that mm-hmm. does that for you. Yeah, we're lucky. Yeah, we're lucky. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dr. Godfrey's clinic. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of doctors around New Zealand who do it. There, there are, and <laughs> we are lucky, and we should be doing it in hospitals. Yeah, that's and that's one of our policies. So one of our Great. outdoors policies Great. is actually an integrative health policy where we have integrated medicine in in each clinic, but then a health ward. So you can choose to go into the into the holistic health ward, and we've actually even had some amazing. Um, uh, there's something called MACA, which is the Minister mm-hmm. for Advice on Complementary and Health. Uh, you'll see it on our website, theoutdoorsparty.co.nz, if you go into the health policy. Uh, and that was done in 2004, and mm-hmm. the review report came back to the Ministry of Health, and it said you need to start integrating finding out what really works in, in complementary and alternative medicine and start implementing it and start implementing it in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And nothing was done. That well, report has been sat on. Yeah, I, in 2016 I was asked by uh, Deputy Chair of the District Health Board here to have a look into how to um, uh, research integration of alternative health into mainstream care systems here. Now, because apparently, I didn't know this at the time, that might be different now because it's a couple of years on, but um, at the time, uh, Tauranga was the only place with a Maori ward. In, and, and, and of course, the, the Maori community here is saying that's because no one else has the balls to do it. <laughs> and, and so they've got the Maori ward in, in the hospital. And, and I had a close look. I spoke to a couple of doctors around town and um, had a think about it. And to, for me, um, because of how the system's set up, you, you would need two separate contracts that people could choose from if you were going to do that. Um, and, and I was looking at maybe doing a PhD on it or something like that. But to, if there was too much bias involved, um, it, just simply because of staffing issues, um, you know, having bringing in uh, locum staff if there was a shortage, etc. If, if uh, knowing what, what what was in each contract, so you've got a mainstream contract which is as it is. If you want to go into hospital and have that type of care, you go in. That's fine. If you want to do the alternative care, then you sign that contract. That opens you up to any form of alternative or allied health um, modality. Um, including a nutritionist, inc- including acupuncture, you know, osteopathy, physiotherapy, which are already there, chiropractic work, you know, um, uh, homeopathy, which is a, you know, a big... Uh, um, Exciting uh, field. Touch, touch the blue paper <laughs> and, you know, chuck it in the room, pull the pen. <laughs> um, there's always so much debate around that. But, you know, if someone is choosing that for them, that's the right, including body talk as well. Mm-hmm. If someone says, look, I, uh, I, you know, what resonates with me is um, homeopathy, um, uh, some acupuncture. I'm going to do that uh, if something if it resonates with body talk, body talk before and after surgery. We know that that that's a really really effective mm. Um, mm. Uh, protocol to use for recovery. Amazing results of people doing that. Um, and so, you know, I did I did take a look at it for him, mm. uh, but it was too big a job, mm. uh, just because I think that at the time there was. Too, too, uh, the margin for error was too, was, was too big, and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked effectively. So, uh, I think it's yeah, it's, I think it's totally doable, mm. but it's getting everyone on board. 
Well, the nice thing about having a ward is that you don't have to get everyone on board. You just need to have that, a, ward, on that ward on board. Um, and people are aware that they have a choice. Hmm. So if you know, if you were offered that choice, that you could go into this ward where you could say, actually, I don't want, I don't want antibiotics. I'd rather use uh, high dose vitamin C, MMS, and some homeopathics to deal with the infection. Hmm. Um, or even body talk. You've seen it yourself, yeah, John. Yeah. Where you've, you know, I've had people coming out of hospital in agony, yeah. you know, and they've gone, well, that was a waste of time. Yeah. You treat them, and they stand up and walk out, and you think. God, it would have been so much easier if you just dealt with them in hospital. You know, you just go to, <laughs> go to yeah. the hospital of, and, and heal the problem. One, one, of, the one, problem. Of the, one of the patients I had, actually an Irishman, um, I, apparently, uh, and I haven't heard since, but holds the record for the, the fastest discharge mm. from um, major surgery. Mm. Um, and uh, he had it for, um, for cancer, and he had quite a major surgery for cancer. Uh, which is um, uh, typically really, really painful as well. And he, he was having uh, sessions just before and then a specific before, uh, you know, agenda session before and after. Mm. And he was out in three days mm. without using his pain pump once. Yeah, nice. So See, he was we sitting have there and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have such innate wisdom and healing capacity in our bodies. Yeah. We've just been taught to ignore it. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is all what I'm all about is like, let's pull that out of ourselves, yeah. we have the power within you. Yeah. And they're scratching their heads, Have you, are you in pain? No. Have you not used your pain pump at all? No. Um, fine, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's ridiculous. It's really and, and this is how we used, yeah, this is how we used to live. And I think we're rediscovering our old, some old ways. Mm. And, you know, and fair enough, we were, if you and I would be called witches back in the day, happy with that. <laughs> burnt at the stake and dunked at rivers. Burnt at the stake, dunked at rivers. Happy with that. And, and we lost an enormous amount of wisdom, and we don't even know what we've lost. Now, well, I think, I think that... to Mata Ora mm. the other day, he was saying that wisdom was useful for the time. Mm. And we haven't lost it, but that wisdom was useful for the time, and now we have this wisdom, yes. and it's a lot mm. of it is remembered wisdom, so mm. I don't feel we have to feel mm. a loss. Yeah. I, I, I think that a lot of it was destroyed back in the day anyway, you know, yeah. back home, I think we mentioned that with Matura as well, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially in Europe, they, I've, I've heard people say that, that they, there's, a, there's a consensus that the healthcare in, in Europe was very similar to Chinese and the Ayurvedic systems and, and because of the wars and the, you know, and the conflicts and, you know, invaders and people like that, every time an area was invaded it was destroyed completely with all the archives and everything else to mm. wipe them off the face of the earth. Mm. So they had to keep starting and keep, and keep re-establishing and using some of the knowledge they remembered and then develop and evolve from that. Mm. Um, but and, and so I think that's where that's where how, why Western medicine has evolved the way it has. But I think that, that the main significance for modern day is money. At the end of the day, um, and and it, there's money and yeah, medicine. Money so and money medicine. and medicine need yeah. to be separated out. Yeah, yeah. And and what we see in New Zealand is that the pharmaceutical industry holds far too much sway yeah. over the type of treatments. So that's why I've written policy that says. Actually, I'm not saying let's get rid of pharmaceuticals. No, they, they, they're good. What I'm saying yeah, is let us find. Well, yeah. the way I've worded it is let us find. Let's do the research, mm. find out what is the best therapies mm. yeah. and the best nutritional supplements or the best whatever mm. for each individual disease. And I know we're all individuals, so actually yeah. we all. So everyone needs to be tested for allergies. Mm. You know, let's just nail that one. Mm. You know, so if you're if you've got high blood pressure because you're allergic to gluten, let's say, or even if you're schizophrenic because you're allergic to gluten, mm. there are so many people who hallucinate mm. on gluten. It's just ridiculous. Mm. You know, so are all these psych patients that we've got severely allergic and now are just in a psychotic state? Mm. You know, these are the things we need to nail down. Yeah. So these are health issues, not not um, you know cr- criminal issues, mm. let's say. And even oh god, don't get me started. Hang on, let's backtrack. <laughs> <laughs> so let's you know let's get a fund like a constitution, yeah. you know, a health constitution. Mm. Let's get a fundamental basis of what constitutes health, 
and actually work towards that as a country instead of siloing it out and saying, oh, you're sick, it's your problem. You've created this. But it's, well, I'm addicted to McDonald's because you put addictive substances in there. So that's actually a government problem because the government should make sure, So, and I've written another policy that says all food in New Zealand should be food, not poison. So let's go and look at our food and go, what is food and what is poison? Mm. And go, well, actually, if if you can turn that crunchy crap into healthy crunchy crap, you know, healthy crunch, mm. you know, great, fantastic, we'll, we'll back you all the way. But if you can't make your food non-toxic, mm. we do not want it here. Mm. And you can't import it and you have to, so you have to use the right ingredients, not just... It, it probably paid um, uh, manufacturers to start taking a serious look at that anyway, because you know. Well, they're, they're going to lose all their yeah. <laughs> going to lose all their customers at this rate. Yeah. 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 So, where to now? Where to? Well, you can vote for the outdoors party. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Well, I guess we just we have to just keep working on what we're doing and and getting the word out there and allowing people to think more deeply about their health. Mm. I think critical what? thinking is vital. Yeah, mm. and, and openness as well. You know, um, uh, ability. You know, gives gives something new a try. Mm. Um. And a lot of this testing, you know, the allergy testing and stuff, is, can be really expensive. But there's also some amazing people out there doing um, doing incredible health work. Yeah. It, all around, all around Tarawa, there's some yeah. fantastic practitioners. Well, that's what we're trying and to do here is to introduce the practice, the, the different dynamics and modalities that are in our area, and, and get people, get, you know, give, give people, people choice. Yeah, yeah, choice. And if yeah. one therapy doesn't work, go, oh, that didn't work. I give up. You know, I've yeah. done everything. It's like, no, you haven't. There's yeah. like 50 different modalities mm. that you can try. Yeah. And and you're drawn. You tend to be drawn to what's going to work for you anyway. From a yeah. subconscious perspective, you're going to find yourself in front of the practitioner that's going to be that's going to do the job. And for you. sometimes it's hard work. Yeah. You know, don't think, oh, I'll just you know I'll just take this vitamin C and I'm going to be fine. Mm. It's actually there yeah, is, it is. you have to consciously mm-hmm. look for health, mm. and that means getting educated. Mm. Because everyone's all of a sudden has to be their own doctor because we live in complicated times. Mm. It used to be you could go and visit the visit, visit the village herbalist and you know you'd be back on track. Mm. But no, you sometimes it involves lifestyle changes yeah, as well and mm. that massive lifestyle changes. There is a, a pushback on that. Sometimes. So we can't trust our government to look after our health because we know no, they're not interested. Mm. So for now, we all have to take care of our own health, and then. If people like me get into Parliament and can influence the health system, I will do everything I can to improve the health of New Zealanders mm. from a broad, from as broad a base as possible. No, we're with you on that. From a broad base, I love that. Broad <laughs> base. Thanks so much, Tracy, for coming along today. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's been great. Thank you, Tracy. It's been lovely. It's been awesome. Catch up again. Oh yeah. Tracy Livingston. <laughs> <laughs>